Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com you're the mom the maid the keeper of the cookies you do it all and you look good doing it it's parenthood on a mother level here's your host denise hanitka Hey everybody, welcome to On A Mother Level. I am sitting in my friend Angela's living room right now and let's see, we caught up for approximately an hour and a half before (laughs) starting this recording. Yes. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing well, surviving like everybody else. (sighs) Yeah, we really broke it down. We're both like making it through. Yes. Um, but this is a crazy time for sure. Yes, it is. It is. And you, you worry, but you don't know how much you should be worried and you're constantly reading things and And you just want to get back on about our business. I know. I know. (laughs) I'm such a routine person that this was really hard to switch gears and as well as a big extrovert. And so that, that was hard too, but you know, necessary. So (laughs) <laughs> so Angela has two kids yes. and um, basically they're the same age as mine. I know, just like a few days younger than right. a few months, weeks younger than both of yours. So tell um, the listeners about your family. Yes. So I married uh, seven years to my husband, Chris, and he is a project manager for a heavy construction company in Illinois. So he has not slowed down during COVID. They have not suspended any sort of bridge or road contracts. So he's still been out there working uh, a lot. Um, So I'm sure people have noticed construction has not ceased (laughs) at all during this time. Um, And then, yes, we have two children. We have a son, Carter, who is three and a half. He'll be four in September, just like Abe. And um, we have a daughter, Allie, who is 14 months. So I think it's funny that every time I cross the I-74 bridge, I think about Chris working there. Do you? Um, yeah, just because yeah. I think it's so cool that one day he'll be able to be like, hey, kids. Like, yes. like they're going to be so annoyed. Every time they cross that bridge, <laughs> it's going to be like, hey, kids, I worked, I worked on, on this, this bridge. They're going to be like, we know, Dad. We're 17. We're I, this story. <laughs> I know. He, um, yeah, he really loved that project. They His part has kind of wrapped up now. Yeah. Um, but he still, they're still out there a little bit. Um, and But Carter does love going to that job site. I don't know if that'll ever change. Um, but he loves seeing how it all works and uh, seeing the progress. And it is, it's a, I mean, it's just a massive project. It's hard to look away. But yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they will. My mother-in-law talks about all the time because my, the project my husband did, his dad bid that project. 
And then Chris was the project manager, and oh, now cool. she always says that Carter will be like fixing the bridge someday. <laughs> <I> don't know. <laughs> this like generational bridge family. I don't know. So, um, but yeah, it's he's he's proud of that project as he should be. That's so, very cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so whenever you and I get together, we always end up talking about like some true crime podcast yes, we that do. we're listening to. Mm-hmm. And you always have such an interesting perspective because of your education mm-hmm. and your background. And yeah. so I really don't want to mess it up. So talk to me about what you're studying and like yes. what your background is in. Okay, so while well, I'm a social worker at heart, um, I got my bachelor's and my master's in social work. And then, um, and I worked at... Um, I lived in Iowa City when I met my husband, and I worked at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in the emergency room for five years. I was a social worker there. And that, and I worked three years of those five on nights. And so, <laughs> yeah, I worked 12-hour shifts, and I would work three days a week. And, um, and it was the best job experience I ever could have had. I saw, I mean, I saw everything you can imagine from funny to totally tragic events um also dealt a lot with mental health issues and child um, abuse things like that and that kind of working with kids in the ER and I mean as much as and I loved the ER we made our move here I did try to commute for a while it just kind of didn't work uh, for me working 12 hours and commuting it was it was difficult and at that time um, as much as I loved the ER I kind of missed having relationships with people you know, it's very short term. You're kind of in these people's lives for this very intense moment. Sure. And then you never see them again. And that was that was kind of hard after a while. Um, and working with the kids, I kind of I decided I wanted to pursue um, getting my LISW, which is licensed independent social worker, which allows me to do therapy. And that's you know that takes um, some more training. That takes taking a test, things like that. So when I moved here, I started. I was a child's therapist. So that was in 2013. So now I do children's mental health um, and uh, individual therapy, basically K through five, uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. And again, that has been, that was, that was a steep learning curve. Um, So children's mental health is obviously something I'm very passionate about. And then as I was doing that, I, I don't know, my mind wandered and I started thinking about, um, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm young enough. Is this, you know, are there, is there something else maybe out there for me that I do want to do? Um, anybody will tell you therapy is a hard business to be in. Especially with kids. Especially with kids, yes. Um, and I've dealt with a lot of uh, trauma with children. And I started thinking about forensics and working with forensic populations, which has always been very, in- I've always been very interested in that. And so when I was six months pregnant with my daughter, I was like, I'm going to apply to grad school again. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I could do this. What this, a good time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is just, I, I got this. Carter's, you know, he's doing great. I, <laughs> I can do this while having a new baby. And um, so I did a ton of research. You know, research. I call that pregnant ambition. I, it it mm-hmm. was completely pregnant ambition. Um, <laughs> Some people paint their kitchens. Other people apply to grad school. It's a thing. Both worthwhile things. <laughs> I wish you would have come and painted my kitchen. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to go back and get my Ph.D., but after falling down the rabbit hole of um, forensics, I realized there was no like in-person um, 
APA accredited PhD programs in forensics anywhere nearby. <laughs> um, so I, after talking with some people in the field, I decided to go back and get another master's. So I'm currently um, through the University of North Dakota, I'm getting a master's in forensic psychology. Uh, what am I going to do with that? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> um, but I hope to kind of maybe meld my world of child mental health with forensics. Um, you know, most children with childhood trauma do go on to be in the prison system. Um, and once you're in that world, you understand why. Um, and so we'll see. I, I'm doing the program very slowly, so I have some time to figure it out. In the meantime, I'm still... Um, I'm off because of COVID, but I'm still doing therapy with okay. children. So, so yeah. I want to, I guess, ask what, like how you got into just social work in general, yeah. and then I want to transition <laughs> into the question that you asked me. Because, but I wonder if they're if they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, you know? kind of. Because you asked me like. Everyone who's interested in true crime has a case yep. that like really sticks out in their head. Yep. So, I mean, is that, that part of your answer? That introduced you. <laughs> no. Well, my mother will tell you <clears throat> as a child, do you remember that show Rescue 911? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I do. Yes. yes. That I, was very 90s. Yes. Very 90s. And I always said, I want to do that. I want to be a 911 dispatcher. And... I mean, I never wanted, and I will tell you, I never wanted to be anything but a social worker. I knew that in high school, and I feel really fortunate that I knew what I wanted to do because I do think it's a lot to ask of an 18-year-old to figure out what you want to do the rest of your life. Yeah, and it really is. It is. I mean, your frontal lobe's not even totally <laughs> formed yet, and you're supposed to know. Like, um, But I, and obviously I've, I'm shifting a little bit, but... Um, yeah, so I think there I think that stuff has always interested me. And so I can I can tell you. So you know, if we want to talk about my first case, well, my mother I would say never shied away from talking about kind of bad things that were on the news Interesting. or yeah, or sensa- things that were kind of sensationalized. Um I remember very young learning about Johnny Gosh, which I know you're not oh. from Iowa, but I feel like everybody kind of knows about Johnny Gosh. That one's on Netflix. Yes. I, well, I would recommend... <laughs> that story that's on Netflix? I would recommend that documentary. It's okay. actually very well done. See, that one, that one frightens me a little bit. Yes. Well, it, and I mean, because I, th- well, I think it frightened a lot of people. It was in the 80s. And those of who don't know, um, if you're from Iowa, you usually know about Johnny Gosh. But he was a paper boy for the Des Moines Register. And I'd have to look up how old he was, but he vanished. He was on his paper route. And they found his wagon and his dog, and he's, to this day, it's still unsolved. And his mother is a fierce advocate for um, missing and exploited children. Um, but there's so much more to that case than just yeah. a missing paper boy. Um, but I think it scared a lot of people. I mean, and, but it was, a, it's a pretty famous case. And I, I just remember my mother, I was very young when she told me about that case. And I think I always, that I, I mean, and my mother does watch true crime, as does my sister. So I think part of it was just in our house that wasn't that taboo. Mm-hmm. And then um, my best friend growing up, Laura, um, she was really into true crime. And I remember in middle school, um, we would go to the mall and we'd go to Walden Books. Do you remember Walden Books? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would go to like the young adult section and look at books. And she would always go to the true crime section. And she was fascinated with the Ted Bundy case and she would just sit oh. there and just read everything there was to know about Ted Bundy and then I would she would tell me everything and we would just talk and talk and talk about 
those types of cases. So I think I was just always kind of surrounded by people, um, like I said, that it wasn't a taboo subject. And until later, when you kind of find out that not everybody's like that, like my husband has absolutely no interest in any Mine of these topics. I mm -hmm. mean, he's like, why, why would you focus on something that's so horrific yes. and negative and it doesn't have a happy ending? Exactly. He hates anything that doesn't exactly. have a happy ending. And I can you know, speak to that at some point uh -huh. if you'd like, why, why people are maybe attracted to this. Um, and yeah, and I, you know, my husband always would give me a hard time. He's like, you deal with depressing things all day long. And then you come home and you watch it and you read it. And I'm like, it's just who I am. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I also like to give him a hard time. I'm like, you know, I'm not that weird. This is a I don't know, multi-million dollar genre. Especially right now. Especially right now. It's really weird that like true yes. crime is hot. It is. It's kind of gross, but it, it is, you know? Yes. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's not salacious because it is. Right. Um, but I also think for me, it's, I always want to know why do people do bad things? Sure. And that's kind of why I wanted to go back to school again. Um, I can tell you from a child standpoint why I think people do bad things um, and it's that fascination but I also think it's giving victims a voice too mm -hmm. um, you know we know so many serial killers names but we don't often know the victims and their stories deserve to be told um, and you can do that in a non exploitive way sure so some some of it is completely but not that's not everybody's aim yeah so yeah so what is, can you think? I put you on the spot before. Well, so, first of all, I always remember, and that's why I do my job, is mm. um, the news was always on in our house. Always. My parents always wow. watched the news. And we always watched Dateline. Remember when it was usually maybe like a Monday night? I remember yes. it was like Stone Phillips yes. was the anchor of it forever ago. Yes. We always watched Dateline. And I for a while thought that that would be my career path, would be that I would get to be a Dateline correspondent. Oh, wow. Well, you never um, know. I don't even know how, like, how you would even attempt to go about <laughs> doing that. Um, but that was, like, always my, um, my thought of getting into news because I guess mine's a little more generic than, like, wanting to know why people do bad things. But I just always want to know, like, the details of mm -hmm. anything that happens. You know yeah. what I mean? I just, sure. I'm a very nosy person. And so I want to know, like, <laughs> oh, like, like, she was mad at him. But, like, why? Yeah. You know, like, why would you be so mad at him and kill him? You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm more, like, from a gossip standpoint, which is not. <laughs> well, not I'm not going to sit here and act like that's, you know, I'm, I'm higher than that or above that because that's just not true especially if you know me so well if you grew up in the Chicago suburbs mm -hmm. you've heard of the Browns chicken murder you know what I had never heard of that murder till you told us yeah you and our friend Katie mm -hmm. told us about that um at our Christmas party <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta find your group right who's willing to talk about these things so the Browns chicken murder yes happened less than a mile from my house that is crazy the Browns chicken was this very square building and I want to say it had a green roof and we ate there all the time we ate there very regularly and so one morning it was a Saturday morning we got up and we turned on the TV and 
there was just this live shot of the Browns chicken hmm. on our TV and it was surrounded by police tape. And we were like, we just had chicken from there a couple days ago. What's happening? Yeah. And so it turned out that someone had come in the restaurant and killed the owners and some workers. I want to say, oh God, I should have looked this up, but but several people yes. were found dead. I want to say there was like four or five or yeah, maybe, I remember maybe that's more than that. Said. But they were all found dead in the freezer. And that case went unsolved for decades. Mm-hmm. And it was so weird because it was so close to our house. And it was horrific. It was horrible. Yeah. There was no explanation for it yeah. because it was it happened at night. It yeah. happened at closing time. And it was bizarre because that building stayed that building for the longest time and other restaurants tried to open in there and it became a dry cleaners. And it was just always like, that's the Uh. Brown's Chicken Building. Like, it will never not be the Brown's Chicken Building. It eventually did um, get torn down and something else is built in its place. I think a bank there now. But, But it was just so close to our house when we were kids and it ended up being solved when, um the girlfriend of one of the killers came forward and said that she had driven like the getaway car that she night. Who did it. And then on top of that, there was the person who, and I think it was two guys, the person who killed um, all these people inside the chicken place sat there and ate and then killed everybody. So the Unreal. police, because it was closing time, the garbage can had just the one meal in the garbage can and so they got the guy's dna off of the chicken bones crazy so it confirmed what the girlfriend had said all these years yeah you know had happened um so yeah i i could have done a better explanation if i had like thought of this ahead of time but yeah so that was really really close to home and then on top of that we always watched dateline (laughs) and we always watched and it gave me nightmares countless times you remember Unsolved Mysteries? Oh gosh, with yes. With the world's creepiest man. He was. And he the was trench so coat. Creepy. And yes. you would come out of and, the shadows and, he'd and he'd always, be like, if you yeah. know anything about the whereabouts of the blah, voice, blah, blah. The voice. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like, what oh. other job could that guy have done? No other job. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He really, yeah, he was, uh, and probably his dream job, yeah. A guy, he's like, I'm a guy who wants to be in media, but I have this very weird voice and kind of this creepy demeanor. Yes. Unsolved Mysteries. All I have is this coat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm there. I'm your guy. So it always frightened me, but I always oh, watched it. Oh, same. In my job, I've gotten to cover some pretty big court cases, which some of them just like stick in your head yes. and um, just will not go away. I remember mm-hmm. covering one in, um, this was in Elk Point, South Dakota, and it was a girl who had given birth somewhere might have been her school or at her home or something and she had um disposed of the baby Mm -hmm. because she had hidden the pregnancy and i remember covering that court case and i remember watching her testify and explaining um you know why she had done what she did and i don't remember what the outcome of that case was but that was one of the first ones that you know for a small town in south dakota that was very um that was very very salacious at that time big time um And then there, yeah, there are so many other cases that I remember this one uh, was in Great Bend, Kansas, and it was a 14-year-old girl named Alicia, and Mm -hmm. she had gone out one night, and she had gone to a party that her mom had told her not to go to, 
Which how many of us have done at one point yeah, or another? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> and nothing yes. bad ever happened. Nothing bad ever happened. Yeah. But in this case, she didn't come home, and she was missing for several days. And what stood out to me, other than the horrificness of her disappearance and her eventual murder, but the photographer of ours who was on scene that day. We typically will go to, especially in a small town, you'll look for somebody who knows this person or knows the family or, you know, you try to find someone who's going to provide a voice for this story. And a guy had walked up to our photographer and offered himself as an interview. And he gave a very regular, boring interview about, yeah, I think I might have seen her, but I'm not really sure. Mm, I wonder where this is going. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not sure. Gosh, hope she comes home. (laughs) Oh, jeez. This and that. Well, a couple days later, he was arrested Mm -hmm. and charged with her murder. Yep. And so he was found later to have been text messaging her and he was 38 so he was not supposed to be texting a 14 year old girl regardless Mm -hmm. um and so she had met up with him and he killed her and tried to dispose of her body at his workplace which was an asphalt plant and so i didn't cover her murder but I did cover her funeral. Wow. And I will never forget sitting in the pew of the church in Great Bend, Kansas. And there's that song, and I can't remember who sings it, but it's the If I Die Young song. Okay. And there's the one uh, part of it where, you know, it says, like, make me a rainbow and I'll shine down on my mother. So sad. And then there's another part of the song that I always think of because she had been stabbed was literally in that song they say the sharp knife of a short life. And like, like, (laughs) I think of sitting in the church covering her funeral and everyone was wearing, um, she was a cheerleader. So all the boys were wearing their jerseys Mm -hmm. and all the girls were wearing their cheerleading uniforms. And um, that song played over and over again at that funeral. And even to this day, like it occasionally comes on the radio. And Mm -hmm. when it comes on the radio, I always listen to it. I like I like I can't turn it off. Like it feels right. like the wrong thing to do to turn it off because yeah. I remember this little girl yeah. who got killed by some 38-year-old psychopath and as we yeah. were talking about the case you said I'll bet that wasn't his first crime. What made you say that? Well, I mean not like yeah. you're not trying to speculate about this person I'm not. but but based on your background. Well, most people don't it's um these types of crimes it's not kind of like go big or go home uh you know like that's a pretty horrific crime yeah to do your first time to somebody um i'm i'm guessing there was probably some sexual assault in his background um maybe some other experimentation um types of things uh because you don't you don't like murder and burn a body just out of the gate. I mean, it's there's a buildup to doing something that that yeah. bad and that horrible. Um, you you test the waters a little bit. I'm sure it happens. I'm sure that's happened before. But I mean, you don't just go from zero to a hundred in a case like that. So yeah, yeah, that's always. I mean, that's always my thing. It's kind of like, and I know we're gonna talk about Molly Tibbetts a little mm-hmm. bit, and that's I've thought about stuff like that. Yeah, with, when you when you kill someone, um, especially a, a young person, and um, dispose of things. I mean, you can't just say, well, it was an act of rage or, I mean, a lot of people get angry and get really angry and don't do something that horrendous. Right. 
So See, now I'm paranoid and I have I to check to make sure that we're recording. <laughs> we're okay. Um, well, I was going to say, I think it's really beautiful that you don't turn off that song, that you listen, because I, um, working in the ER, I, you know, like I said, I, I would go through these really life-changing moments with people. I mean, literally, I was involved in where someone who's who woke up that morning and life was normal, and then the end right. of the day, nothing is ever the same. And there's so many people I still think about um, that I wish they knew. I still think about your son. I still think about your mm-hmm. daughter. I still ache for you um, losing that person. And because I guess if something like that ever happened to my son or my daughter or my husband, I would like to know that people thought of them mm-hmm. still. You know, it's kind of like when something bad happens, everyone's really sad at the beginning and then they kind of all, you know, everyone kind of goes away. Right. Um, so I think it's really, I, I'm sure her mother would really love to know that this reporter who covered her daughter's case thinks of her. Well, I think the media sometimes get it's a bad rap, like mm-hmm. we are super excited to be covering this thing <laughs> yeah. and that we're going, oh, this could be a career maker or, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like like people think that we're a little jaded and yes, you have to be at some point a little jaded to, um, to not crumble anytime you're at a scene like that but yeah but yeah in like the strangest of ways same with you like I feel like I was a small part of that process that needed to take place for this community to grasp what had happened Mm -hmm. there right yeah like the family graciously allowed us in to cover the funeral that's pretty rare sometimes they don't want us that you know in their face but at the same time um, I think it was important for that community to see the classmates, the high school classmates of this young girl show up in their uniforms and hold each other up. And and yeah. we were there to, to show that and be part of that yeah. coping slash healing process. Yeah. So, But it was clearly very profound, you know, had a profound effect on you. Yeah. Watching that and covering it. And, you know, I think a lot of people... You get a lot being in this field, like, I don't know how you do what you do. Right. And I've always just said, you know, just some people are wired differently to handle that. We need we need people to be accountants. We need people to fix bridges like my husband. We need people to be electricians like your husband. And we need people to cover the news. And we also need people who can deal with really horrific things. Right. Because um, it takes all kinds. We can't all do one job. And right. So, um, and so I just... You know, and I've gotten that in interviews. Well, how, you know, how do you, this is pretty intense work. How can you handle this? Well, I, I, I can. I, it's just in my DNA. And it's not that things aren't hard or, you know, like I said, I mean, um, my best friend Annie is a pediatric physical therapist and she, she sees some really horrible things. And it's not like we don't take them with us, um, but you, some people can just, I guess, bear the cross a little bit more than others. And thank God for that, right? right? That we all have, we all can do what we're meant to do. Um, I'm glad there are people who can come and fix my washing machine <laughs> because <laughs> I sure as heck can't. Right. And I'm glad that there's people who can go out and clean up crime scenes. I mean, it's just, right. we all have special gifts. Right. So, and, you know, and so that's why I stopped thinking of myself as weird for liking this stuff mm-hmm. and being interested in it and wanting to know, to dig deeper yeah. um, into people's lives. Because as a therapist, everyone has a story. 
And I'm so interested in everyone's story. I, w- I want to know, and I, I'm sure like some people that meet me probably maybe get a little annoyed at first, like how many questions I ask, but I just, I don't care if you think your life is mundane, you have a story. Mm-hmm. And these people who get murdered and killed, they had a story too. And I think it's great that you, you said it was Adrian. not, no, you said, what was her name? Uh, Alicia. Alicia, yeah. excuse mm-hmm. me. So <laughs> just kind of, uh, well, cause I had also mentioned point, Adrian Reynolds, Reynolds. Yeah, and so. that was, yeah. Watching Chris Minor cover that yes. story that is burned in my head yeah. also. And so you're still saying, you know, still carrying Alicia's memory on and that's yeah. important. Um, so I thought it would be fun, not fun. <laughs> True crime people I thought know it would what be you interesting you if we fun. took some of the stories that are yes. in the headlines right now and kind of broke them down from your perspective. Yeah. Um, it was funny, even I just thought of the other day when we had all gotten together in um, Katie's driveway <laughs> and someone was talking about their family and and you even were kind of like, I wonder what it what it is in their life that makes them respond that way. You know what I mean? So I How think annoying. you have an interest. No, no, no. <laughs> because I think I think it's the same reason people are attracted to like the Enneagram or like a yeah. horoscope is that like everyone kind of wants to explore like what makes them mm-hmm. who they are, what makes their partner the way that they are. Yeah. So well, my husband would probably tell that you part. that's a little bit of a buzzkill, but. Uh, <laughs> When I, when I, because he'll say like, he's like, there's Angela making it depressing again. And I have been in those groups before where I am not talking to the right audience. Like, and I know, and I like trying to back You feel it right away. Oh yeah. I'm like, oh shoot. I brought up a murder and (laughs) I embarrassed my husband. No one here is having it. Yikes. Um, So yeah. So I'm glad I was at Katie's driveway. I was in good company too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I totally yes. do. I'm like, why do people do the things they do? Crime or not crime? Um, I, yeah, so yeah, I know. I'm all for a good analyst anytime. <laughs> um, so one of mm-hmm. them that we could talk about is, this is almost right up there with John Benet Ramsey, oh, where man. you wondered if you would ever hear the, Another fascinating the one. end of this one is the Madeline McCann disappearance. Yeah. This is the one where the family was a British family. They had gone to Portugal on vacation. Yep. They left their children in the hotel room and went and had a dinner. Near in the same villa. Like, yeah, resort I think area. they got kind of really skewered for that. Oh, definitely. Which now being a parent, I'm like, can see both sides. Uh, I, I mean, because they were, they really, well, we can get into it. Because yeah. I, I did, there's a documentary on Netflix about this case, okay. and I did watch that. So the reason that it's in the headlines now is because German investigators believe that they know who took her and ultimately killed her. Yes. Um, I just was reading this morning that the McCann family has been provided evidence of some kind confirming that their daughter is not alive um, yeah. and that they believe this guy who's in jail in Germany is okay. the one who killed her yes. and kidnapped her. And that she died not long after she was, right. which is typical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was one of those ones where much like John Benet Ramsey, everyone vilified the parents. Big time. And not just vilified the parents, but everyone assumed they must have done it. Yes. And that happens a lot. And what's hard is it, I mean, I don't know statistics, but it sometimes is the parents. Um, you know, filicide is a whole nother 
Oh, there's a word for there it? There is. I'm pretty sure. I, can I Google it? I'm yeah. pretty sure I said it right. Yeah. Filicide is when you kill your children. Whoa. I, well, this is my forensic psych degree classes <laughs> at work, folks. So, yep, I got it right. Okay. I've so, never heard of it. Yeah. So is that it with the pH or no, an it's an F. Okay. Yeah. So spell just like it sounds. Um, and I will. Okay, John Bonet, We don't have. That's another one you could talk about for hour. That one's bizarre. That one's a fa- that's a fascinating one. Truly. It is. Um, that one I can't say that I. I don't know about who is innocent there and who's not. But in all, again, I just want to say I'm speculating. Um, but Madeline McCann, like watching that documentary and watching that mother's face. Every time they had to come and talk to the press, every time she came out in public, I don't know, she just didn't strike me as someone who was hiding a big, like, I killed my daughter. Mm -hmm. She looked, I just felt, you just feel like she looked like someone who had, her daughter was missing and she didn't know where she was and was completely traumatized. Um, But it's hard. I mean, a lot of you know, not a, not a lot of people are killed by strangers. I right. mean, it's usually someone they know or have had some contact with or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's it's sad. It's so hard. I, I mean, I just can't imagine the same thing with Johnny Gosh, just not ever having closure of what's happened to your child and then being accused of it on top of that. Like, right. I mean, that's, that's kind of unreal. Um, and I, I wonder sometimes why that one... It got so much media coverage. I mean, it wasn't an American family. It wasn't... I think it has everything to do with the photo of the little girl. I know. She's cute. You cannot forget that photo. She was wearing the white hat. Yeah. And her eyes were... She has these big, gorgeous blue eyes. And that picture was just spellbinding. And fortunately, unfortunately, I mean, it's good, She, you know, that they did get coverage so they could get help. But, you know... Sometimes there is some pick and choosing of who, mm-hmm. what cases the media decides to blow up. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, John Bonet, too. Everyone was fascinated with the beauty pageant thing mm-hmm. and how she looked. And um, so, yeah, I, I honestly hope that they have get some closure. I mean, I, I can't imagine they had two other children to raise. Right. And, um, and I think also... You know, it's easy. I think that case, too, would be like a lot of people were like, well, I would never leave my child in a hotel room so I could go out to eat with my friends. I mean, they had a system. Someone was every hour, I think, going into the hotel room checking. They really weren't as far away as it was depicted. Um, And I think at the time, wasn't that considered a very European thing to do? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, where it was like, you Americans might not understand this. Totally. at this resort in Portugal, this was a very Everyone did this. Practice. You put your children to yeah. bed, and then you go, and then you check on them intermittently. Right. And unfortunately, I mean, how many times did it probably go right, and this time it didn't mm-hmm. go right? And, um, yeah. And there was just, and that was the part of the problem, too, is I think the investigators, like you said, I mean, immediately suspected the parents, and then things just unraveled from there. Right. So. And that's one of those cases, too, where... For a long time, the idea of her potentially still being alive was sure. one of was one of the theories as well that it was a human trafficking situation oh, yeah. and that she was grown up somewhere, living some other life. Like perhaps someone had wanted a blonde, blue-eyed girl, and well, you know, not unrealistic. But that sort of that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but so I, I mean, 
without having any idea what this family's been through for the past 13 yeah. years. Yeah, it's hard um, to believe. It's probably better to not think that she's out there somewhere. I know. And that's the thing. I think, you know, you almost wonder in those families, would you rather know they're dead than keep right. hope that they're alive somewhere? I just, I, I can't imagine. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, it's hard to believe it was that long ago. Um, so yeah, I don't know if eventually we'll be hearing more about that right. and update if they're going to release anything. Yeah. So. And, and the, the most that I could find was that there's something connecting this guy to a van that okay. had been seen driving around I think I remember the that from And of the course it's some like weirdo van, like Stereotypical. it's always a van. <laughs> <laughs> no. The windows are blocked off right. and it's, yeah, right. But, but like you were saying about the DeBolt case, this guy is in jail for a similar crime. Mm-hmm. And so there you have the, the notion that there's serial predators yeah. out there. Yeah, unfortunately. It's the truth. That's the thing. I mean, there's really not a lot. I've always said this. Like, there's not a, a, a bunch of murderers out there. There's not a bunch of rapists out there. Most most men don't rape. But people who do have multiple victims, hmm. you know. And same thing with a lot of people who murder. I mean, some people get caught after the first time and some people don't. So, and um, that's, you know, and that's kind of what is scary about it. So... Well, and so given your background yeah. in dealing with children with trauma is, yeah. I mean, how far does that sort of behavior go back? Oh, you know, you gosh. always hear the thing about, you know, oh, if a kid is mean to a dog, you know, or if a kid, that <laughs> like that sort of a thing. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely red flags, but oh my gosh, I, I guarantee, I mean, there's... A, Guarantee everyone who's murdered someone has some sort of childhood trauma. I believe that. I mean, you probably have those special cases. I know, like, a lot of people like to paint Ted Bundy kind of like, oh, he was this all-American kid, and that's not true. <laughs> if you read more about his background, I'm not saying he had, like, overt trauma like some people, um, but... And again, that's no excuse for a lot of people have trauma and don't go on to commit horrific crimes, but... You know, you could probably do a whole podcast on just brain development and how our brains are formed. And if you are not in a nurturing, loving environment, I mean, there's literally brain differences that they can see now. Wow. Yes. Um, you know, your your frontal lobe isn't completely developed till you're 25 and you, it's being molded that whole time about how to see the world. And um, if you, and you know, a lot of it comes down to connection. That is incredibly important um, for all of us. And I think even at some point, you know, there are there are people who are sociopaths, um, but there's something in their background that um, led to that. And hmm. I think some people are already, and this is something, there's something called the diathesis stress model. And now your listeners are probably like, I'm so bored. <laughs> Get back to it. But you could be like already genetically predisposed to some mental illness or problems. Um, but then your life experiences push that. So like okay. push that over, over the edge a little bit. So like if you already maybe genetically predisposed, kind of have some of these tendencies, but you are raised by, you have human connection, you, you know, you're taught 
the right things, you know, you will probably be okay. Maybe you'll have, you know, some issues in your life, but you can know how to cope with them. Whereas people who are, is just a free for all. So they already had it in their genetics and then life experiences have pushed them to continually make those choices that have led to where they are. So when we all like joke about, oh, I don't want to screw up my kids. I mean, what, (laughs) what? Yes, it's what totally could you empty really? You. But what could you really do to screw up your kids oh. if you're a regular, well-meaning, you know, yeah. parent, like diligent parent? Not much. You know, not much. Yeah, you. I mean, you. It takes. I mean, yeah. There, you are. Most people are really good parents, and yeah. you're not screwing up your kid. If you're worried, like they always say, if you're worried about screwing up your kid, you're probably not screwing up your kid. Sure. And. Um, you know, as, and, it, and that's what I say about therapy because there is still a stigma about putting your, you know, anybody who goes to therapy, putting your kid in therapy. And I've had parents you could probably say are quote unquote bad parents, but I'm always like, at least they got their kid in therapy. And at least I can start to, I do with a lot of my kids who have a trauma, I can at least introduce a new concept about life mm-hmm. and what's healthy. Um, for example, a lot of my kids who have experienced and witnessed horrific domestic violence, just planting the seed that that's not normal, that that is not a normal pattern between people who care for each other. Okay. Because then I, because I think, you know, when there, when no one was getting therapy in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, you're never told that 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 there's another way to be. Um, and I've literally sat down with boys as young as third, fourth grade and been like, it is not normal to hit someone. You know, it is not normal to hit your spouse. It is not normal to hit your partner. It is wrong to do that. And and I never say, and I always say, it's okay to love your parents, love them, but it's okay to not, you know, like their choices. Right. And you are not who they are. You have to start introducing to kids that they are not just an extension of their parents, but that they are a separate being of their parents. And that's not going to, I'm not, you know, they're not going to go back to class and stop acting out. You know, that's something that, I mean, I work on, of course, but like if someone could just introduce that concept when their brains are fragile and molding to know that maybe someday that they can come back to that concept. Like it's, I don't want to be in a relationship like that, you know, trying to break that cycle. Yeah. Because we all are products of our upbringing, right? We all have, we all have damage. We all, you know, I'm, there's things that I'm sure I, that could have been done better for me. I think there's probably, there's going to be things I could have done better for my children. Um, But I think if you have the basics of connect, I mean, connection is really where it's at. Hmm. And I think if you look at people who murder, that's, there was some huge missing pieces there for them. And again, not an excuse, but there's some explanation But that's why there. you do what you do. Yeah. And that's always what I'm still chasing is the why, you know? Um, and you, I mean, basically it's just, you know, it is called kind of like the brain schemas, like what you think is normal. And that's probably, I mean, an example I just talked about, like my husband doesn't interest, this doesn't interest him, that this, he doesn't want to watch a true crime documentary with me. It really fascinates me. Well, why did we both end up on the, mm-hmm. why are we both like that? You know, um, it's just different patterns in our brains that we, that are a part of us. Right. And some people don't have it easy. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I can have some compassion in that respect, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't pay for your choices or your mistakes or that there shouldn't be consequences. 
Um, but I think since I've worked with children, I can have that different perspective working with adults who are in prison. Sure. Trying to understand, you know, why they did what they did. So. The other case that um, I jotted down for us to chat about, yeah. I was just thinking about the other day, um, and that's the Molly Tibbetts murder yeah. here in Iowa. And for some reason, I thought it had only been a year ago, but it, this summer will be two years. That's crazy. And I thought of her because I was walking with my family at Sunderbrook Park. And I remember like the two, maybe two or three days after um, she had been found dead. And because yeah. it was a month or so that she was missing, but it was a couple days after she was found dead that I was running at Sunderbrook and I was by myself yeah. and the entire time I was running I was going I shouldn't be here I shouldn't be by myself I shouldn't be alone yeah. you know oh, totally. even though that park is not any less safe than it was <laughs> the day before right um, but so anyway so the story of Molly Tibbetts is that she was a University of Iowa student she was at home in Brooklyn Iowa very very small town yeah. and she was out running that's the last anyone had heard of her. And she disappeared. Yeah. And literally just vanished. And it was maybe a month and a half or so later that her body was found in a cornfield on her running route. And police said that they had been led to her body by the man who was arrested yeah. for her murder. And he, according to police, said that he had seen her running followed her, mm -hmm. she got agitated, Shocker. and then he got angry and killed her. Yes. And so he is going to go on trial. His confession is part of the um, part of the evidence that his defense has tried yeah. to suppress, and there's um, right. that whole situation. But that he didn't know what he was right. confessing to or Exactly. Um, well, I, yes. So Molly is kind of, you know, that's everyone's worst nightmare, right? That's what we're taught as kids, like the stranger out of the shadows snatching you up and killing you. You know, that's what you have to be careful of. Um, and unfortunately, that's was the that's truth really, for her. Right. Yeah. But it is really rare. You, it I is. Mean. It really is to have that happen. And he is, I, you know, in that whole case, when he was arrested, I definitely was like doing my own profiling in my head of him. And it, that really, I feel like come like, just as I was talking about connection, this was a guy who was a foreigner from a different country who didn't speak the language, had been here a few years. And I did wonder how isolated is that guy? Mm -hmm. You know, did he have any support system here? Um, again, not making excuses, but I kind of, did that allow him to go to some really dark places in his mind, on the internet? I wondered if there was some type of Again, speculating here, like some sort of pornographic addiction that was making him have some very dark fantasies. Um, sees Molly, kind of stalks her, you know, and does, you know, commits the ultimate crime. I don't know. But, I mean, there, I, I just feel like from what I've read about him, like, he worked at what this farm. I mean, did he, right. uh, like, you know, did, so. And did, he either had a wife or a girlfriend, and he. Did he? Yeah, because he. Like drove back home? home. No, they're in Iowa. Okay. And he, you know, drove home that day and went yeah. upon, uh, about his life as normal yeah. until... So maybe he had some connections, yeah. I don't know, but obviously there was a dark, dark part of him. Right. And yeah, then unfortunately Molly paid that price. Wow. I know. That was such a... 
But Sad that, case. That one was another one that people criticized the fact that it made so so many headlines he, yeah, because national. she was a um, a very pretty, pretty white girl, yep. and so a lot of people felt like you know it, it was unfair that there was so much totally. focus on her. Um, and then there was also a lot of questions about where was the boyfriend during all of this. Oh, yeah. And, um, Which I think he got ruled out pretty fast because yeah. he did have an alibi. But yeah, I know that's, I'm, but that I think is probably, you know, Detective School 101. Like you look at, you look at the right. significant other first. <laughs> Who's nearby. Yeah, right. So I know. I, yeah, that's hard to believe it's two years. And her family just, I, I just remember how gracious they handled all mm -hmm. of that. I mean, really beautifully. Um, I don't know if I could ever be that gracious. No. <laughs> yeah. So that case is pending trial. Yes. Um, her, the state and um, his defense both filed a request this week asking the trial to be moved back to January. So it'll be a little uh, while before that case goes to trial. Yeah. Um, the other case that you and I have talked about many, many times, and this one like really goes back to your background because this yeah. is the Susan Powell case. Yeah, we kind of bonded over this one. Yeah, well, this one, this, this right one after is you had Everett. Truly fascinating because this was a oh. how many part podcast called Cold. Oh my god, ten. It was extremely detailed, well researched, unbelievably. Yeah. And what what creeps me out, and I'm curious about your opinion on this one, because. There was so much to this podcast because there were audio recordings and writings. So many aplenty. diaries. So many there diaries. Were so many people involved who were keeping <laughs> journals of their feelings. I know, which let me tell you, as a therapist, never happens. <laughs> there was so much to mine from of what the yeah. mindset of these people. So, yeah. um, to summarize this case, uh, if you can. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Bare Bones being Susan Powell disappeared in 2009. Yeah. And if you don't know who we're talking about, just Google her yes. and you'll, you'll recognize the picture right away. Um, you'll recognize the creepy husband yep. <laughs> told police that he had taken the two young children camping at, in the middle of a snowstorm. At like midnight. Yes. It, it, totally nonsensical. Yes. Anyone knew that that was a very, very bizarre story. Um I don't even know where to go from here other than her she, body has never been found. No, she went missing. Yes, so yeah, she's missing. Her yeah. body's never been found. They have searched all uh, these like abandoned mine shafts uh, everywhere yeah, for everywhere. her. Um, the husband acted. The husband is the one. <laughs> most of the cases that we um, that you see, the husband is very um, tries to make themselves a very, yeah. very sympathetic figure. Yeah. He did not do no. that. <laughs> He was Not sort of like, yeah, she's gone. She, she left. She's the one who Forget decided her. to take off. Right. Yeah. Um, so he Without was her a, purse a very unsympathetic yeah. figure. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it made absolutely no sense. No. But so police at this point have ended their active investigation. They believe that he killed her. Um, and yeah, then duh. how long ago was this? It was... This is where it gets even the, worse. The terrible, the, the horrible, horrible ending of this story yeah. is that the husband, Josh, eventually killed himself and, and their the two, two boys. Children. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And that came after a long huh. investigation into him and his father and his whole family. 
Let's talk about a case analysis <laughs> there. Yeah, where do you want to begin with Man, that one, Angela? That's again another whole podcast. Well, it's called Cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to try to like look re- into that. Um, yeah, it's so. Um, yeah, that one is that was just fascinating as a therapist and as someone who's interested in forensic psych. Like, man, because um, I knew about Susan Powell. I remember her face was also kind of splashed on, and they were kind of um, presented as this all-American family, which is really hysterical when you really know anything about them. Because I don't right. think any of their families would have ever said that about no. their relationship. Um, but that's kind of how like people they were on People magazine and things like that um, because. There's, there was so much more to that case that I never realized. And I also found that case really fascinating about the child welfare system. And currently, her parents are suing that, um, the, is it Washington, in Washington now? Yes. The um, child and family welfare, whatever they call it there. Um, and I, that was really frustrating for me because I could relate to the frustration you have trying to get children removed from a bad situation. Yeah. It was really hard to listen to because that is so, it was so spot on. Yeah. (laughs) Like he, they had been removed from him, Mm -hmm. but this happened on a supervised visit that was allowed to be in his home. And they were still trying to make it work with him being their, their, these boys' parents, even though there was so many instances of, why he was unfit, why his family was unfit to raise these kids. Um, and yeah, I that was also a frustrating case because listening to because the circumstantial evidence on him was insane that they had on him. But there yet they couldn't so ever much. arrest him. And, you know, right. and that's another thing you almost kind of wonder about with, you know, things happening in our world right now, like, okay, he was this white guy who, oh, we just couldn't, we didn't have the smoking gun. And it's like, did you not have the smoking gun or not? Because that was, um, they, it just, like you said, it never, none of it ever made sense from the beginning. It wasn't even like trying to catch him in a lie. It was like, your story doesn't add up. Um, but yeah, it's it's not for that one's even I feel like some true crime people that podcast would even be too much for them. Yes, I would agree. Cuz it kind of it, it kind of shook me to my very core just knowing the end and what happens to those boys. And Cuz you could do you could do multitudes of case studies on every single person involved oh, in it my from goodness. him yeah. to his, his father. father. To honestly, to her herself. Yes. Because, and this is not to speak ill of a victim, but she knew she was in a bad situation. Yes. She knew that she was being verbally abused. I would say financially oh, abused. Totally. Yeah. Um, and she stayed because of her religion. Yes. And that always made me feel sad that she thought she was doing the right thing by God. Um, and it ended up costing her her life you know and i'm not saying that 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 her religion was bad but i wish she had been able to see outside of the rules of her particular religion and and do something else well she knew she wrote in her diary she was also an avid diary writer if something happens to me you need to look at josh Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i am not leaving my children i'm not gonna just take off um so yeah like she she kind of knew and um and then still that wasn't enough for years to put this guy in jail before he murdered his kids right um yeah it's a 
it's a tough one. So yeah, but that one, I mean, if you are really interested in just getting down to the really, really, really nitty gritty of a case, I mean, that will take you do down and deep. Because you oh, and I, yeah. yeah, we both listened to it when we had newborns. <laughs> <laughs> which in a way is sick but also we had a tremendous amount of time to yes. listen to this sort of thing oh my gosh I'm sure pe- there, yeah I'm sure people would find that just sickening but it was a re- it's a really good podcast yeah. so are there any other cases that are fascinating you right now like at the moment yeah or any other podcasts that people need to be checking out well I really my podcast um lineup is getting a little dry is it yeah. okay well I recommend. I should look at my phone. So I listen a lot. My sister got me on this one called the um, Murder Squad. Have you heard of this? No. <laughs> well, this one, I feel like they're doing some amazing work um, because they are all about, um, so it's Jensen and Holes. So Paul Holes is the guy who um, was integral in solving the Golden State Killer oh, okay. in California. And he is really in pushing for... Um, gen match which is so they got the golden state killer because of genealogy like basically like if you've ever done 23 and me you should do this go to gen match and you can upload your dna and now detectives and police forces can tap into gen match and you can like let's say you have dna at a crime scene and they can put it into this and be like okay we have a hit and they can so they know that it's in this person's family tree Whoa. Literally, like your four, it could be like your fourth or fifth cousin, but that narrows the field so much. And maybe it's someone they already suspected, but they didn't have that person, couldn't, didn't have a warrant or couldn't get that right. person's DNA or something. And then, yeah. So that's a huge up and coming thing. Um, so this podcast is all about kind of help um, facilitating. They talk a lot about cold cases and um, basically having armchair detectives get out there and try to solve some of these cold cases. And they are being very mindful of trying to give um, voices to cold cases that didn't get a lot of media attention, which mm-hmm. happened to me. A lot of black women, a lot of indigenous people um, where there's just nothing ever went anywhere. Um, I mean, they cover the gamut. A lot of women in general, um, too. Um, and so it's a good one. So they talk about these cases. And they'll talk a lot about, I mean, not if you're not into unsolved cases, which isn't for everybody um they do talk about they usually put in another case that's maybe similar to this cold case and then they give everyone a weekly assignment so like let's say you lived in cal this area of california in the 1970s like what can you tell us about that time and they have had one um mystery they have one cold case that was solved through wow yeah so and it was people who are uploading their dna into genmatch and getting second cousins all around the country, so. See, I have no plan to commit any crimes anytime soon, <laughs> but something about, like, my DNA being uploaded into a thing, like. Does that bother you? Like, the 23andMe kind of bothers me. Yeah. The Ancestry, okay. it sort of bothers me. Okay. Um, if I'm going, like, deep, deep, deep into my most conspiracy theory brain, like, I yeah. feel like those are, like, a front to, like, get all of our DNAs. Ooh. You know what I mean? Gosh, maybe I'm too naive. I, I don't, don't know. know. Like, I just I just think there's, like, there's something weird about it. Sure. Sure. I don't know. I, can see I guess, sides. like, I'm cool with knowing, like, who my immediate family is <laughs> and, like, even maybe a little extended. I don't need to know if, like, I'm, yeah. like, a descendant to George Washington, which I'm not. But. Oh. 
Shoot. But I'm cool with it. Yeah. With not knowing totally. too. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I I like <laughs> I like um, the Murder Squad. I'm also really into my favorite murder. Have you ever okay. listened to that one? I have not listened to that one. That's a comedy murder podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Where they do talk about serious things, but they also right. can put a little spin, not on the actual murder, but like yeah. they're kind of funny and yeah. um, it's not for everyone. Um, so did you ever listen to the Up and Vanished one? Well, you, is that the one you told me about with the Delphi? Yes. No, 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 no. That okay. one's called Down the Hill. And that one, Ooh. that one is also a really tough listen. That is. Okay. Um, Up and Vanished. Up and Vanished uh, is I've heard the of it. one that happened down in Georgia of the teacher who disappeared. Oh, and, and in they the found. middle of the podcast, it was solved, but yes. not by the podcast host. But he kind of says he did, right? Yeah. He, <laughs> what he did was... He was a part of the process for sure because yeah. he stirred up a lot of yeah. old conversations and stuff like My that. My friend Jason told me about that. It case. was a really interesting podcast, particularly because it felt like it was happening in real time. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The one thing that bothered me about that podcast is I felt like the host turned it into a money-making thing. And when I think about yeah. the girls... The fact that, that he's running around the country hosting live podcast oh, tours, yeah. and it's all because this girl got murdered, sort of creeps me out, yeah. you know? And so, like, that's yes, more, that's it's like I participate in the fascination with true crime, but, but to me, that went the extra step of turning it into a movie that it, it's really not. Yeah. You know? Right. That part of it sort of bothered me. So it's kind of a fine line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I guess I, you know, when you spend that many months investigating something and then something happens, I suppose you should get something out of it, but yeah. towards the end it it creeped me out yeah. that he was so anxious to make a buck. Yeah. I think I did. I think he did after that. He did Atlanta Monster. Yes. And I never listened to that. I got I was, through. I was kind of done. I got through him. some of it, which that's all that's in Georgia. That's about the Atlanta child murders mm. um, in the 70s, I believe. That one. It is a fascinating case, but the I struggled with the podcast a little bit. They yeah. cover it on season two of Mindhunter. So okay. just watch that. That's way better. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this point in your um, in your learning process, you are doing advanced stats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's like the the exact opposite of why I got into this. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, it's a necessary evil. So yeah. we got to get you past that. Yeah, only seven more weeks. Okay. <laughs> okay. I know. Yeah, it's as bad as it sounds. <laughs> so. So what do you think, if you were to decide today, where would you take this master's degree? I mean, I would love to do, I mean, I would love to um, do psychosocial assessments of criminals. Yeah. But I don't know, that might be more PhD territory. But the thing is, there's not a lot of those around here. Okay. So maybe I'll get a lucky break. I've always said it's not what you know, it's who you know. So I gotta yeah. keep making connections um, in the biz, but... Uh, yeah, I guess, like, if I had to choose something, um, there is, like, Oakdale in Iowa City, which is a real fascinating place, because that's, like, a mental health prison-type place. Um, I have visited there, because <laughs> um, that's what you do when <laughs> you're into this stuff. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll see. Um, I mean, there are quite a 
few prisons within driving distance. It's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. So I think, you know, we'll see what happens. But, um, but something within the court system, too, I'm interested in. I've even thought, gosh, I would just love to um, work with children within the court system, which, I mean, I don't know if I need a whole separate degree for that, but because I feel like that's so misunderstood in some of the cases I've had where I've, they've gone through the court system. I'm like, does anyone here understand child psych? Anyone? Because it doesn't feel that way Yeah. at all. That's troubling. It is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about broken systems. Um, that's a big one. Um, which is another reason I found cold so fascinating, but also so infuriating. Right. Um, because it, it was, those boys were a product of a broken system. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I don't know if I can like make my own job. Yeah. (laughs) If anyone can, can I talk to about that? (laughs) Any listeners out there uh, have some, can pull some strings. That would be great. So, well, thank you so much for providing your insight. Oh, this was fun. I hope I didn't ramble too much. So, (laughs) so if there's a case that we should have Angela break down, Let us know. Send me a message and we'll get her on it. And um, yeah, it's fun to see. um, I don't know. It's always fascinating, like what people, you know, do, you know what I mean? Because you like, especially in my job, you're just like around the people who do what you do. Yeah. You know, totally. it's cool exploring. Well, like I said, everyone has a story. Yeah. So (laughs) I want to hear it. So come tell me. Well, thank you so much, Angela. And thank Thank you you. all for listening. Yes, thank you. We'll be back again next week. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.